What's up, everyone? Welcome into the Round 6 Podcast. We're your hosts, Keaton Cordell and Jake Smith, coming to you from Horseshoe Bay, Texas, and Denver, Colorado. We had a great week last week. The picks all hit, except for maybe one or two. The fight card was insane. We just saw some wild fights. I watched the whole card at work since uh, the, the card was in London. So, watched it at work. Prelims turned on at 11 o'clock. Main card started at 2. I did no work until that card was over. But once it was over, I finally got some work done and and just was in shock the rest of the day over just how good some of those fights were that we saw. But I, I was super impressed by just about everyone involved. I think Cyril Gaon put on a hell of a performance. I think Tai Tuivasa didn't lose any bit of stock whatsoever. And, and just the rest of that main card was insane. We saw some good prelims. Benoit Saint-Denis looked incredible. Just a, a whole wealth of talent. Uh, in that card coming to us from Paris, France. So, uh, I mean, that was one of the better cards top to bottom that I think I've seen in a while. I don't know how you felt about it, Jake, but it was fun to watch the whole way through. I I enjoyed every single second. Jake, what did you see on that card that that stood out to you? What fighters um, did you think really put themselves apart from everyone else? And then obviously we'll recap our bets because what a week we had last week. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me honestly was like Paris, like, the fans there are insane. Like it felt like one of the cards in England. It felt way bigger than any card we see in America. I felt it was a massive card to me. Um, it has been banned in, in uh, Paris, so we haven't been able to see live MMA there. So when Benoit Saint Denis walked out, I mean that was one of the loudest pops I've ever heard coming from any, like really any crowd. That felt like a Connor card, and this was a a prelim fighter walking out just just because he's from France. But yeah, to get to our picks, I mean. We killed it this week. If you bet with us, you made some money. We went three and two on our picks of the week. Um, Benoit Saint-Denis inside the distance, never a question. The Stoltzfus fight under two and a half rounds, never a question. I mean, that was round one, easy. Uh, hack press by decision, got a little hesitant a little bit there, but nah, that, that, that one happened easily. And then we move on to the hammer hit, the parlay hit, and the dog of the week hit. So if you bet with us, it was a great week overall. Yeah, no doubt. I, I basically rode, I mean, literally every single pick that we took. I put 50 on everything and 10 on the little sprinkle on tie on our picks of the week. So total, I had 360 out uh, at stake. And, you know, anytime you've got, you know, a couple hundred or more out, you're not necessarily like worried about how it's going to go because you do your research. And obviously, if you follow us, you know, we do our research. Um, so I wasn't worried about any of our picks. I felt going into last week that we had done a really good job of making solid picks that all had a really strong chance of hitting mm-hmm. and boy did they if you bet with us like i said 360 out at stake you would have raked in 712 dollars, and i just did so it's proof that if you if you ride with the round six pod you're gonna make some money we, we had a rough week in week one we bounced back the week after and then here in a little bit we'll get into our picks for this upcoming card with uh, Hamzat and Nate Diaz. And I'm just as excited about these picks coming up for Saturday as I was Mm -hmm. last week about the card in Paris. But 
Yeah, I mean, we crushed it last week. So yeah, if you didn't, I believe we're finding us, a system. Like, I, I think we're kind of finding a system for these picks. We're finding massive favorites, pretty much, that are guaranteed to win, and we're figuring out how they're going to win. And that's where we're getting all the money. So, for instance, we have Robert Whitaker by decision. There was never a question on that one. That was obviously by decision. You had it at minus three hundred if you wanted to take Whitaker, but instead we got it down to even money. Benoit Saint Denis, he was one of those fighters that gonna get the finish. Like almost every single fight he's ever had is inside the distance. Yet if you want to take him to win, I think he was a minus four ten or something like that. We ended up getting him at a minus one thirty five. Same with uh, our dog of the week, Stephanie Egger. She's always inside the distance, whether it's sub or knockout. I think she has seven wins, six of them by finish. Now we can call it eight wins, seven by finish, because here she comes again, rear naked choke, and we get that at a plus one ten. I mean. These are pretty easy picks to make, honestly. Like, I don't know why you're not betting with us if you're not. Yeah, it makes no sense to me, especially after the week we had last week. So Mm -hmm. take notes, folks. If you didn't bet with the Round 6 podcast, you better start because that bankroll is going to increase every single week that you ride with us. We're almost never going to have a down week. I'm confident in saying that, not only because I really feel confident in all of our picks every week, but because even if you're not a big UFC fan, you don't have to tune into the sport every single week like we do to figure out who you want to bet on just come listen to the pod that's all you got to do just come listen to us figure out what our bets are ride with us and you're going to make some money just like we do so i mean i was ecstatic last week like i said i I, it took me like i don't know probably four or five hours to come down not only from like the high of having cashed on so many bets Mm -hmm. like we did but also i mean just a crazy card like you said the atmosphere in paris was incredible um, it kind of felt like the London cards and you had mentioned that last week on our show, uh, but it kind of felt like the London cards in the sense of like, it, it's an untapped market, um, for the UFC and you've got fans there that watch the sport just from an international perspective. And they're just itching to go to a live event. Dana White says it all the time. The UFC has got a great product, uh, like broadcast product. So if you watch it from home, it's going to be awesome, but it's even better in person. There's nothing Ugh. better than a, a UFC event live. You and I have been to, you know, countless UFC events at this point, and every single one like outdoes the previous Mm -hmm. one. Like they're all so fun. So if you haven't been to a UFC live event, go to one. I mean, you just you can't get that experience anywhere else. But I thought one of my favorite things, and Jake, you probably heard this on the broadcast listening along. uh, The broadcasters kept mentioning throughout the course of the entire broadcast that it was hot in that arena. And then they also kept referencing that the entire French crab was just smoking inside the entire uh-huh. card. So it, it kind of makes you wonder like what uh, like a healthy, like clean eating, like doesn't drink a lot, doesn't smoke UFC fighter <laughs> that walks into the octagon and they're fighting in like 85 degree weather. And it's like smells like a bar mm-hmm. in Paris. So I thought that was really funny. I just love that Bisping and and Paul Felder kept referencing how many people were smoking inside. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's funny. Like you say in Paris, they're smoking. So they're mentioning they're smoking the cigarettes inside. All they can smell is the cigarettes. Then you go to San Diego where Cheeto Vera is walking out and he says he just reeks of marijuana during his walk. And he's (laughs) trying to get a hit as he's getting to the cage. I mean, it's just funny the different, the different smoke at the different places. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. I I thought the, the energy in that, arena the entire night was a lot of fun and and just like i said being someone that watched it on tv because i didn't want to buy a plane ticket to paris france as fun as that would have been uh it was great and and that atmosphere really came off Mm -hmm. um but 
What do you think is next for some of these guys, Jake? Obviously, we've got guys like Cyril Gaon and Tai Tuivasa and Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori, all guys at the top of the card that I think uh, most of them did, you know, right by themselves, win or lose. Um, mm. Obviously, Marvin Vittori, got to figure it out some way, somehow. But where do you see some of these guys going? I mean, for Cyril, it's it's as up in the air as Ngannou is pretty much. Like, pre- next thing is a rematch with Ngannou. He's got nowhere else to go, basically. Um, and if Ngannou doesn't come back, then we're kind of waiting right now to see if Stipe and John Jones is going to happen. If that does happen, it's more than likely going to be for an interim belt. I could see Cyril stepping in if one of those two doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, maybe waiting for the winner of that. But... Cyril, we, we don't know about Cyril until we know about Ngannou, basically, because I don't see him taking a fight with somebody likes of Curtis Blades. He said it himself. Smaller name, dangerous fight. There's no win for that like for that situation for him. So for Cyril, we, we're not going to know anything until we know about Ngannou. And thankfully for him, like obviously he doesn't want to be injured, but he broke his hand in this last fight, so he's out for a good amount of time right now. So he can wait, and we'll see what happens with that. And moving on with uh, Tai Tuivasa. I mean, personally, so I don't know where he goes, honestly, but personally, what I would like to see is if Aspinall can make it back for the next England card, I would like to see maybe an Aspinall to Ivasa co-main event for Usman Lee on three. I don't know about you, but that just sounds like a banger. Yeah, no, that would be insane. Where, where do you think, like, just kind of playing Dana White and the boys, uh, where do you see that fight taking place? Because obviously it's, it's in my mind at least, a super tough decision for the powers that be in the UFC because you've got two crazy markets, right? We've seen fights in Australia that are just absolute bangers. Obviously the two London cards this year have been extremely productive. The, the electricity in both of those atmospheres has been off the charts. So a, a fight between Ty and Aspinall, like in your opinion, where do you see that taking place? Yeah, I mean, actually, I didn't really think about the uh, the fact they could go back to Australia. But, I mean, I, I would like to see that as a co-main event on an England card. I would like to see Leon get the headliner in England at a stadium, nonetheless. And I would like to see Tuivasa, Aspinall co-main that. I mean, beer's going to be flowing whoever wins, Aspinall or Ty. So, like, that is, that's going to be a fight everybody wants to see. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean one has to think that if they go back to London, or I guess I should say when they go back to London, imagine the turnout and just the pop that you get, not only from a live crowd, but just all around London, wherever that fight might take place, whether it's like the O2 Arena. I think the Echo Arena is probably a little too small, so the O2 might be like like the spot for that mm-hmm. particular event, or Wembley Stadium. I guess there's there a case to made for that. Um, but can you imagine the scene in London or just England in general, if you've got Leon at the top of the card, Aspinall as the co-main, Patty Pimblett finds his way somewhere on that card, Molly McCann finds her way somewhere on that card. If I mean, good God. If Darren Till gets the win in December against Drikas Duplessis, I mean, what if this fight doesn't happen until March? We could see Darren Till again. Hear Sweet Caroline come out because he says he only does that back home. So I mean, that would be insane. Crazy. Yeah. We might have to go to that. We will go to that. We'd have to consider I mean, going to that. That would be wild. Champ finally, so that pop alone is going to be crazy. Darren Till, everybody loves. Patty, everybody loves. Got to get Molly. Tom's going to be coming back. 
Let's get Tuivasa on the card, obviously. Oh my but, gosh. I mean, that would be I see it happening already. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And to get back to that Tuivasa and Gone fight, uh, I did want to kind of mention one thing about where I think Cyril Gone ends up from here. I think you're spot on in saying that uh, Cyril, you know, he's due for a rematch with the champ, obviously pending Nganu's knee injury and Cyril's hand injury. Um, if that doesn't fight and Stipe and John Jones gets made and um, the winner of that comes out and the, the fight looks like it makes sense for Cyril, obviously that's one thing. But we still haven't seen Cyril and Francis fight when they're both healthy. Obviously, Cyril seemed healthy and claimed to be healthy going into the last fight. But Ngannou tore his, his, I think it was his ACL or his MCL, something like that, going into the fight uh, about two or three weeks out. Uh, And then with Cyril now having broken his hand, you've got to wait for both of these guys to recover fully. But after the performance that we just saw from Cyril this past weekend, a, a fight between a healthy Cyril gone and a fight between a healthy Francis Ngannou might be like the biggest clash of titans the UFC's ever seen, mm-hmm. in my opinion, at least, especially within like the last 10 years. But like, can you imagine when both of those guys are healthy and Francis doesn't have to depend on like wrestling to actually win the fight, which champ mentality, I, I would have, you know, if I was Francis Ngannou, I would do the same thing in his situation. No knock on him for that. But those two in a purely striking matchup, I mean, Crazy. Crazy. Ridiculous. It would be ridiculous to see what happens between those two guys. So that was just my one little note. But I think a, a healthy Cyril and a healthy Francis is just a wild fight. I completely agree. So what do you think with uh, moving kind of down the card a little bit? What do you think about Robert Whitaker? Uh, you know, obviously a guy that's basically lapped the division. And I would kind of liken Rob's situation to like a Colby Covington in mm-hmm. the welterweight division a little bit, right? So uh, – for Colby Covington, obviously he's the best welterweight in the world. Should a man na- not uh, a man named Kamara Usman not exist, and I guess now there's kind of a case to be made for should a man named Leon Edwards not exist, but more so Kamara because we've seen that fight a couple times. But he's the best welterweight in the world if Kamara Usman does not exist. Similarly, Robert Whitaker is the best middleweight in the world should Israel Adesanya not exist. So we've seen Izzy and Rob now both basically lap the the, the division. So I'm just curious, like, like if you're the UFC, what do you do with Rob? Because unlike Izzy, who's got, you know, aspirations to move up, Rob doesn't seem like he's got any of that. And I don't think Rob would look super impressive at 205 anyway. He just doesn't have the the height to be able to pull that off if he were to put on some weight. Not to say that he couldn't win at 205, but I think Izzy makes a little bit more sense to move up. Mm-hmm. So with Rob sticking at 185, the division that he, you know, is is like that's his best division, obviously. But what do you do with him? Like, I'm kind of at a loss for what the UFC might have in store for him next because there's almost not someone that he hasn't fought. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rob himself says if he's going to go up to 205, it's going to be a one-time move, and it's going to take time to do so. He's going to do it the same way John Jones did for the heavyweight division. He's going to put on real muscle, put on real weight, and go up slowly. So for now, Rob's staying in the middleweight division. And similarly to the Colby Covington situation – now Colby sort of has a path in because Usman's no longer the champ. Leon is. If Usman can't fight or let's say they have the rematch and Leon wins again, Colby has a path in now that actually makes sense. It's no longer a I've lost two times to the champ kind of thing. So for Rob, he really needs Alex Pereira to win this fight. Like I, I can't think of any other fighter in the division that he should be fighting other than Israel, honestly. 
So if Pereira doesn't win this fight, I don't know what happens for uh, maybe Paulo Costa just for a fran- uh, fan-friendly fight. But like truthfully, I don't know who he should fight at this point. Yeah. Champ- which needs to be a different champion. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you bring up an interesting point there with Izzy – or excuse me, with Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa because – both of those guys have formerly lost to the champ. Obviously, Rob's fight was, or two fights, uh, particularly the second one with Izzy were, was a little bit closer. You know, you and I obviously saw that live in person, <laughs> and there was a lot of people, Aussies and otherwise, that thought that Robert Whitaker won that fight. And uh, Paulo Costa also lost to the champ. Obviously, didn't have a good showing, making some questionable, questionable decisions the night before and leading up to the fight. But... I think that fight does kind of make sense, especially if Izzy wins again, because you've got two guys. Obviously, Paulo just put on a show against Luke Rockhold. And yes, it's Luke Rockhold. Yes, he's a little old, but it's still Luke Rockhold, former former champ. So you can't disregard Luke Rockhold's skill set in the octagon. So I think that fight's actually super intriguing for a lot of reasons. But like you mentioned, it's also like a fan-friendly, fan-favorite fight. Like if you put that fight on the card everyone's eyeballs are going to be on that depending on who you have above or below it. But there's almost not a main event to me or not many main events that really would out outdraw that one. So I think you bring up a really good point there and saying that that is a potential fight for Rob moving forward. I would personally love to see that as a co-main event so they can just have three rounds. Paolo comes in juice to the gills like he always does. And they just strike it out with each other. I don't want to see wrestling. I don't want to see patience. I want to see those two just slug it out. Yeah. Yeah, and Paulo on the secret juice, man. It's it's sight to see. It's sight to see. Oh. Yeah, and, and then, then I was oh, gonna go say, as for Vittori, I mean, yeah, yeah, go to the gym, like do something <laughs> different. Like you, you just got to do better. Like Vittori, you just got to do better. There's a really funny statistic that I saw a couple of days ago that whether it's a three round fight or a five round fight, if you look at the 49 second mark. In round three, you will see Vittori give up, get on his knees, and look like he is praying for mercy. It is the exact same thing at the exact same time in round three. It is hysterical. Yeah, he just kind of like like <laughs> it's almost like he's trying to turtle, but he forgets how to turtle because he's like just so tapped that he just like you said, he just like is sitting there praying for mercy. And he's praying as somebody <laughs> is standing over him, whether it was Izzy or Rob about to just punch his face in. Yeah, well, and and what's wild about that to me, and I think you're right in saying, like, Vittori, just go back to the drawing board, figure out what you got to do. You know, he obviously trains with Kings MMA and Rafael Cordero and, and, and the guys down there. Um, so not like you need to change gyms because those are some of the most bona fide coaches in MMA. But Vittori, like, when you look at him, not necessarily on paper, but, like, when you look at him, like, his stature and his build – you would think that he's going to just, you know, lay it on some people. But, like, I can't – it almost, to me, feels like he's, like, built and should be acting and fighting like more of a, a wrestler. Like, you should just go in and try to double-leg people mm. and, 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 you know, use heavy top pressure, ground and pound, and kind of take that approach. But it's almost like he's he, he thinks, like, he needs to stand there and strike. And there's not two people in the middleweight division that I would rather stand and strike with less than Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. So, like, the yeah, game exactly. plan almost just didn't seem like it made sense for me at all. Which makes no sense because his game plans in the past were kind of wrestle, hold down kind of style. And he's just 
it's like he fell in love with his hands, but for no reason. Like, yeah, for all the wrong reasons to yeah. to, to be a hundred percent certain. Yeah, we haven't really seen that knockout power. Like we haven't seen him just drop people like Usman started to. Well, I mean, so. I mean, we can't disregard those hammer fists to the quad uh, in round five of the mm-hmm. fight against the champ. So, I mean, those were devastating blows. Brutal. So, I you know, I, I guess he just felt <sighs> like those were effective and and just thought that that was the path to victory. But no, get to work, Marvin. Get yeah. to work. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's move into this next card, shall we? I think we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Jake, and you and I had talked about this a little bit earlier today, uh, but a couple weeks ago, you sent me this card, and and we're just wondering, you were just wondering why this isn't a fight night and why this is a, a pay-per-view. And in true UFC fashion, within like three weeks, they turn it into uh, just a phenomenal card. You had the likes of Kevin Holland and Daniel Rodriguez to the card. You had Li Jingliang and Tony Ferguson to the card. Uh, and it just slowly but surely kind of became what we know and love now as a pay-per-view. Um, so are, are there any fights uh, in this on this card that kind of stand out to you that you like? Um, fights that they added recently that you like and you think are going to stand out? You know, Kind of take me through this card and take me through your thoughts on, on what we're going to see this Saturday. Yeah, I mean, this card really was nothing special. And now all of a sudden, I'm super excited for this card. Uh, to start off, Kevin Holland and D-Rod, like that is a fight I cannot wait to see. Kevin Holland moving down from 185 to 170, I think he's going to be a real problem. Like for starters, I thought D-Rod was a real problem. But Kevin Holland is not a guy I'm going to bet against, especially down at 170, because he had the knockout power at 185. He's got the length to fight these 185ers. And I was just slimming down a little bit because he wasn't cutting much weight to make 185. He was probably walking around 190, 189. Like, I can't imagine he was that heavy of a guy. Now moving down to 170, I think he's going to be an absolute problem in that division. Yeah. Well, and both of us love Kevin Holland, obviously, just because we're both from Fort Worth. But how can you not love Kevin Holland with all of the talk and, and the you know that big mouth attitude that he's got? And he's kind of curbed that a little bit. He doesn't. Like, it almost seems like he's a little bit more locked in now. But then you point at situations uh, like when he was in, um, I think Oliveira in his last fight kind of had him in like a seatbelt lock from the back mm. and worked it into a rear naked. And, and Kevin Holland, there he is, just, you know, thumbs up, just saying he's fine. But he does it Chill. in Kevin Holland fashion. And so, mm-hmm. like, he's almost got, for me, like a little bit of an aura around him just in that he's so fun to watch and mm-hmm. seems, I don't want to say carefree because he, he definitely cares. But he seems like he's just so relaxed and so used to being in those situations that, like, it's just natural for him to, like, talk at the other guy, you know, whether it's, you know, um, kind of chirping him during the fight or whether they're laughing about something that happened or even when he was in, like, a semi-deep rear naked against uh, Alex Oliveira and he's just there throwing his thumbs up, you know. But it's not, like, a normal, like, eh, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just, like, I mean, it, it looks like he just got an ice cream from the, the mm-hmm. ice cream truck down the street. Like, yeah, he's just awesome. He's just so fun to watch. He's a, a, fa- a fan favorite for sure. Uh, I totally agree. And I think we should just honestly just move right on up the card to the co-main event. Like, that is another fight they just added that I'm just crazy excited to see. Tony Ferguson and the Leech. So, <clears throat> I mean, for all the Tony fans out there, I'm sorry. This fight is a crucifixion, in my opinion. Tony's a 155er who also just got knocked out, I don't know what, six months ago? Mm-hmm. Your, your brain needs to heal. So what do they do? They decide to put this lightweight in 
against the knockout king of the 170s. Like, smart decision. Tony's going to take it, obviously. Why not? It's a career move. So, this is a fight I'm super excited to see. Not because... Uh, not because I'm a Tony fan, but it's just, I think it'll be a good fight to see. Yeah, and Tony's, you know, during his nine-fight streak uh, a few that ended a few years ago, he was one of, like, those guys that you point to and you're like, oh, he's durable. He can take some punishment. Like, you know, he, he, he's got a chin. But in his last several fights, I mean, like, he's not looked the same. Uh, personally, after that little nine-fight streak ended and we saw Tony back for the first time in, like, two years, he looked like he went from looking like he hadn't aged a day in 10 years to aging 10 years in a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, obviously, in training, when you take so many, so many shots to the head in your fights, when you take so much damage, especially as much damage as Tony took, like it's going to add up over time. And at some point that's going to catch up to you. And I think we're kind of starting to see that right now. Uh, again, love Tony Ferguson, have all the respect for him in the world, but it, it's just kind of come to that point in his career for me. Yeah. And, and like to, to your point about him getting um, head kicked by Michael Chandler and getting knocked out like the, the, I mean, Chandler flatlined him. Like that was one of the most brutal knockouts well and truly that I have ever seen in my life. And here he is back in action six months later. So you got to wonder where the chin's at. You got to wonder what the mindset is coming back after getting knocked out like that for the first time in his career. So I, I don't know. I think this is just going to be a barn burner for Legion. Yeah, and coming off what you said, like he used to be this durable fighter, like known for his durability. I truthfully feel like that is what's hurting him so much lately. You look at, I mean, let's just look at his last several fights. He had the one against Charles Oliveira, gets put in that arm bar. No way he didn't sustain any damage to that armbar. That was one of the most disgusting, fully locked-in armbars that I've ever seen that nobody tapped to without your arm just snapping in half, honestly. Then you go to the Gaethje fight. He had to, The fight had to be stopped for his own good. He wasn't going down. He wasn't going to go out. Like you said, he's durable. But Herb Dean had seen enough. Like It was disgusting at that point. He was getting battered. And... That was one of the first fights where you couldn't really... There was no crowd there. It was just a fight back. Mm-hmm. So you heard every punch landing from Gaethje. And it sounded like he was hitting him with a wooden baseball bat every time he landed a hit to like just the eye socket. Then the next fight, Benil Daryush. There's a video of Tony Ferguson sitting in a heel hook. And if you know anything about heel hooks, they don't hurt. They don't hurt at all until they, until until they do. Bad. Right. Chael Sonnen said it best. There's no pain in a heel hook until your knee is a bucket of bolts. And Daryush is just cranking that heel. And Tony is laying there screaming in pain, but just not tapping. And, he, and then he, the fight doesn't really happen. Tony is getting dominated for three rounds because I cannot imagine he has anything left in his knee to even stand up. So, I mean, the durability is what is, I think, making his downfall at this point. He, he can't – the stuff he's doing to his body is making it so he cannot take it anymore. I believe that Gaethje fight – played a role in him getting knocked out by Chandler. I think he took so much damage in a three-round fight with Gaethje or five-round fight with Gaethje that, I mean, that Chandler knockout came easy. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. And uh, just all around, I think we're seeing uh, some fighters that understand when it's time to get out of the game and they get out and they go out, you know, not necessarily on top, but they go out, you know, with their head held high and, and, Mm -hmm prideful of the career that they had and then you've got guys you know not to throw a just an absolute legend under the bus here but you've got like a chuck liddell 
who kind of didn't know when to get out and, and you just kind of felt bad for him his last like three or four fights uh not personally last, his last eight yeah yo yeah ah. yeah um but I kind of hope that, especially if Tony loses in kind of a brutal fashion this weekend, that we don't see him continue. You know, just just walk away. Be proud of what you've accomplished. You had a great career. More than likely a UFC Hall of Famer, I would think. Um, yeah. And, and and so, you know, if, if this is another fight that ends similarly to the Chandler fight back in, when was that? Uh, May, March? April? Mm-hmm. Something like that? Not long ago at all. If it ends in a similar fashion to that, you just got to walk away and, and I just yeah. appreciate what you did. You're going to get a huge pop when you lay the gloves down, but mm-hmm. it's just I time, the time's I, coming. I think, I think he's moving up to 170, so that's already a career move in a bad direction. That's usually when they're heading out. I think finish this fight, put on 30 pounds, and see if you can get Khabib into a grappling match. Like that's what I see <laughs> yeah. at this point. You couldn't make it happen in the UFC. I don't know. Chael, can you make it happen? Submission underground? That's hey, I mean – ADCC is coming up in September, so what a super fight. What a super fight. We could get into that all day with me. I could talk Khabib and ADCC all day, but (laughs) we won't even have to get into that right now. Let's move on to this main event. I mean, Nate and Hamza, this is crazy. Like, this is a crazy fight. It's one of the, like, I, I can't think of another fight that's similar to this from the standpoint of, like, you've got, an up-and-comer who, and you said this a little while ago, and I tend to agree, uh, we definitely haven't seen him 100% proven yet. He's been tested. Gilbert Burns is as good as they come. But we haven't seen him push to his absolute limits to see where the ceiling is for Kamzat Shimaev. So I think he's he's been pushed to his limits. Gilbert absolutely pushed him to his limits. Like, he showed there's heart. But Gilbert is the one who also showed that Hamzat is not ready for a championship fight. You see, and if you watch the countdown, you can hear the translations from his coaches screaming at him, stop brawling with this guy, stop brawling with this guy, stick to the game plan, all this stuff. And they say like Hamzad is a young lion. He doesn't want to listen to anybody. He's going to go out there and like, he's 11 and no, for instance, he does not know what losing feels like. He doesn't know what it feels like to be dominated yet. I just, I think He's not ready to stick to the game plan. I don't think he's gone through enough adversity to say like, oh, this guy's actually good. I need to stick to a game plan. And I think this fight is the perfect way for Nate to bring that out of him. Like what if Hamzat comes in focused? He knows what happened last fight. He knows that Gilbert drew him into a dog fight and that things got hairy, things got close. So what happens if Nate comes out there, slaps him in the face three times, calls him a bitch and says, you're not a gangster. You think Hamzat's going to stick to a game plan? Because I don't think so. What do you no. think? No, not at all. And it, Joe Rogan talks about it a lot. Daniel Cormier talks about it a lot. Um, but anytime you're in a fight, and, and I think the the Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje fight is kind of a good example of this. But any chance you get to fight the ego of your opponent mm-hmm. is always kind of a win, especially when you get a younger guy like Hamzat in there who might not have the wherewithal to understand that Nate's just trying to get him to come unglued and make a mistake. And, you know, to, to uh, the extent of Chandler and Gaethje, Gaethje had all but finished Michael Chandler and Michael Chandler starts telling him, Hey, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. And you see Gaethje start to open up and Chandler almost capitalized on a couple of those uh, instances. So uh, I think you're absolutely correct in saying if Nate, 
can go in there and do what Nate does and, and try to, you know, invoke a brawl out of Hamzat. Nate's got a puncher's chance, and he's a pretty heavy submission threat. Obviously, Hamzat's wrestling defense is stellar. Uh, his his offense on the ground is stellar. But Nate's so slick off of his back. Mm. Like, there's almost not another fighter in the UFC that's as active and has as, as active of a guard off of his back as Nate does. When you see Nate get put down and, and when someone is – you know, I don't know why, but when someone's willing to go uh, establish top position against him, Nate almost never closes his guard. He's trying to, you know, put mm -hmm. a foot on your hips, work his way up, throw a leg over your head, mm -hmm. get a triangle in. He, he's got a very active guard. He almost never closes his guard. So I think even if Hamzat were able to put him down, you've still got to think Nate's got a chance off of his back. He's just that 100%. Guy. Yeah. And another thing was in that Burns fight, Hamzat was gassed. Like, I'm saying gas. Like, I don't think he could have gone another round or two if, the, if it had to go another round or two. Whereas Nate is a triathlete. Him and his brother run marathons. Him and his brother are just absolute freaks when it comes to the cardio. And Nate's also never been finished before. He's never been put away. Other than a doctor stoppage due to a cut versus Masvidal. But besides that, he's never been put away. So and if you if, asked Nate if he wanted to, con like, continue yeah, in that Nate fight, would Nate would have 100% exactly. said yes. Exactly. So, but... What happens if Nate gets a fight in the fourth or fifth round? Like, that's when things get really scary. Now, with that all being said, Hamzat's probably going to win this fight. I know, we're talking, <laughs> I know we're talking a lot about Nate Diaz, what Nate Diaz can do. It makes an awesome story. We've seen Nate do it before. We've seen a guy with all this hype coming up, a.k.a. Conor McGregor, and Nate says, you're taking everything I'm working for. Like, let me fight you. Beats him. I'm not surprised. I mean, he's done it before, but Hamzat's not McGregor. Hamzat is something different. Hamzat is the kind of guy that comes into the UFC, gets a win in like a minute, asks for a fight 10 days later, gets another win, asks for another fight in like another 60 days, knocks out Mearshart. Hamzat picks up our co-main event for this fight, drags him over to Dana White, is screaming at Dana White as he's choking out Lee, unconscious. I mean, yeah, he's, he's just one of those guys that's they, he's fight, but yeah, yeah, right. He's just one of those guys that's got skills everywhere. So like, we saw him outside of the UFC octagon in a, a wrestling match against Jack Hermanson, and he throttled him. And Hermanson's I'm sure huge. He's, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure he's got submissions. We haven't necessarily seen that yet, but I'm sure there's some in the arsenal somewhere. And then we've seen him knock out Mearshart. We've seen him uh, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Gilbert Burns, even though he was hurt once or twice in that fight. He's right there in that fight with Gilbert Burns, who's got nasty striking uh, at 170 pounds. Obviously, Gilbert used to fight at 155, moved up to 170, and kind of found his bread and butter and, start, and was just knocking people out. He went on like a four- or five-fight streak of just flatlining people, and Hamzat stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with him that whole fight. So... I think Kamzat's just dangerous everywhere. Um, Nate's just one of those guys that's like, like he's slick everywhere. If that makes sense, like he doesn't necessarily have like, like flashy power or uh, I mean, he's got flashy submissions. I guess I would say, especially earlier in his career. But like mm -hmm. Nate's kind of more of a guy that flies under the radar a little bit, not necessarily from a fan perspective, but from the way like he carries himself and the way he fights. Kamzat mm -hmm. is. This like the international sensation right now, just because of the way he's kind of burst onto the scene. So, like you said, I'm super excited for this fight. Even though, you know, who knows if it's going to go in Nate's favor or not. But I, this is one of those fights where I'm not really mad about 
either guy winning as long as it's a good fight and we learn something from it. Like if we learn something about Hamzat in this fight, I'm all for it. If, if Nate wins, I'm going to be going nuts. So oh, yeah. I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, so with all that said about the card this week, let's start throwing our picks out there. I'm just as excited going into this week as I was last week about our picks going into the Paris card. So uh, I'm super excited about everything that we've got going on. I think we spent some time on the phone earlier and we made some really great picks. So without further ado, Jake, start throwing some picks out there. Let's make some money. Yeah, so for our first pick of the week, we're going to go with Norma Dumont by decision, sitting at minus 120. So this is another one of those heavy favorites. She's sitting right now at a minus 410 money line. When you look at her record, she has seven wins, five of them by decision. And this is another women's fight. Most of these women's fights do tend to go the distance, although a little later we might not say that. But for right now, we're saying most of these women's fights go the distance. And at a minus 410 favorite, seeing her mostly get wins by decision, I mean, you're getting basically even money for that to go the distance and for her to win. So that's our first pick there. Moving on to the next one, we have Irene Aldana versus Macy Chasson. We're taking that under two and a half rounds at plus 160. Our reasoning for that, both of these women are finishers. Both of these women are knockout artists. They're about 50-50 in terms of decisions versus finishes. And seeing that this line is a plus 160 dog, that's really, that's a juicy line to take, and that's hard not to take. So we're going to take that at under two and a half rounds. Our next pick is going to be Melissa Martinez, double chance, KO or sub for the win. And that's sitting at a plus 330. Um, she has seven fights, five of them by knockout. So at plus 330, I mean, she's an undefeated fighter right now. She's more than likely going to get the finish. She's a finishing fighter. We're going to take the double chance just in case she gets starts getting the ground and pound in, might get the back, gets the sub. It's only a 20-point difference between knockout and adding that double chance. So we're going to give her a little bit for the sub as well. So at plus 330, I would absolutely take Melissa Martinez to win by knockout or sub. And then our last pick of the week is a little two-leg parlay just to get an even line on these two heavy favorites. So we're going to take the Johnny Walker and the Ion Kutelaba fight to not go the distance. And we're parlaying that with Kevin Holland and Rodriguez to also not go the distance. These are two, for the first one, two psychopaths fighting. Like, this fight's not going the distance. I would be so shocked if that fight actually went the distance. And then as for Kevin Holland and D-Rod, both of them have knockout power. Both of them can shut the lights out. If not, Kevin can get it to the ground, get the sub. I personally think Kevin Holland's going to get the win inside the distance. But just in case he gets slept... We're going to take this fight just in general to not go the distance. And if you parlay the two of those, we're sitting at plus 103. And don't you love it? The An additional parlay made its way into the picks of the week. I'm all That's not even it. a parlay. And it's not even a, yeah, yeah, it's not even the parlay of the week. So you get two parlays for the price of one this week. And I think the do not go the distance bets, especially as a parlay, are super exciting. Because it's almost like betting the over in football and that you're like, all right, if you're betting the under, you're just betting that this isn't going to be a fun game. If you're betting two fights in a parlay, both to not go the distance, you're hoping for a hell of a card. So, oh yeah, how could you not be excited about that? But moving on, let's go into our dog of the week. Jake, who you got? Our dog of the week, you heard it earlier on the show. Sorry, Tony fans. We're going to take Lee Jin Leong to win by knockout at plus 110. The fact that this is an underdog bet blows my mind, to be honest. Lee is a heavy favorite this week. This is up at 170, like we said earlier. Lee is the knockout king 
at 170 with eight knockouts. Tony is proven he doesn't have a chin anymore per his last fight and per watching his last several fights. He's just been battered. I mean, moving up to 170, Tony's going to now be having to take hits from 170 power and the most power proven at 170. I think Lee by knockout at underdog line is a crazy bet to not take. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And then moving forward, we'll go into our parlay of the week. So this is our slated parlay of the week. Obviously, we've got another parlay on our picks of the week, but this is the slated parlay this week. So it's another four-legger. We had great success last week with mm-hmm. a four-leg parlay. So this week, we're taking Jolton Almeida as a double chance by knockout or submission. If you look at Jolton Almeida's record, uh, it's just a slew of finishes. In, in fights that he has won, he has... I can't remember, and I should know this off the top of my head, but it's just not coming to me at this point. He's either only gone to one decision or he, he has never gone to a decision. I think he's only gone to one decision. I think it was one won. decision and it was yeah. his loss. Okay, yeah, okay. So how can you not take a double chance there? You're getting it a good line. Uh, obviously, it's, it's, it's a favorite, but that's why it's in our parlay. And then the last three legs of this parlay are straight money line bets. So we're going Hamza Chimaev. You're going to see him up close to minus 1,200. I think DraftKings has him at minus 1,150, which is so disrespectful towards Nate, but it's probably the right line if we're being fair. Um, but you, you can't just take that as a straight bet unless you're willing to throw 1,200 down to make 100, which makes no. no sense. Do it if you want, but you're not going to catch us doing it. So that found its way into the parlay. Jake, what do we got for the last two legs? Yeah, and then we're going with Lee and Jake Collier. So, I mean, just this is like last week's parlay. We are getting massive massive favorites and we're bringing them down to even money or even underdog money so like you said Hamzat's basically a minus 1200 jake collier is sitting at i have what is he minus 410 right now almeida's minus 700 right now and we are taking him inside the distance but he has proven he only wins inside the distance and at a minus 660 which it says currently yeah we're gonna take that and then lee like i said earlier i mean we won't take it for knockout just in case but if you want to make this parlay even juicier, do it. But to keep the parlay as is, we're taking these four fights and we're hitting that at a plus 143. That's some good money to be made. And then for our hammer of the week this week, we are going to go with Kevin Holland's money line sitting at minus 200. I mean, Keaton, what do you think of that? It's a solid pick. It, it, how can you not love Kevin Holland from a fan's perspective? But I also think that it's the right pick here in this fight because... Obviously, D-Rod poses a threat with the striking. There's no doubt about that. But when you think of it like in its like the sum of its parts for this fight, Kevin Holland's got knockout power at middleweight. He's knocked out Joaquin Buckley. He's knocked out some killers at middleweight. And then moving down to 170. So he's got the power advantage, I would say, there just a little mm-hmm. bit. But he also possesses a threat that... Daniel Rodriguez does not have in the submissions. So Kevin Holland is, is one of the lengthiest welterweights on the roster. His, his reach is just ridiculous. So if he's able to find his way to Daniel Rodriguez's back or, you know, maybe find a way to throw a triangle up or something like that, I think he's absolutely a threat to win by submission there. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, we're going Kevin Holland minus 200 is the hammer of the week. I love that pick. And like we've always said, we're both from Fort Worth. How can you not love Kevin Holland fighting mm-hmm. out of Fort Worth? So 
I'm all in on that one. I think that's a solid pick for your hammer of the week. Yeah, I completely agree. He's a beast on the feet, his striking, his knockout power, and then he's a Travis Luter black belt when he gets to the ground. I mean, you can't really beat that. No, no, not at all. So what a week we've got. Saturday is going to be awesome. Uh, I hope everyone kind of learned a lesson from last week and decided, hey, maybe I should ride uh, some of round six podcast bets because I'm going to win a lot of money. We did last week. I think we're going to do it again. I love all of our picks. But regardless, it's going to be an awesome card. I'm super excited for every single fight. Obviously, we're going to be watching it the whole way through. Um, but, you know, what, what else is there to say? It, it turned from what should have been a fight night three weeks ago to a pay-per-view that both of us are just ecstatic mm-hmm. to watch. So I'm extremely excited to watch all the fights, and, and we'll just have to see how the bets play out. But I'm very confident that all of our bets are going to hit our, our the majority of our bets are going to hit this week. Obviously, it's kind of hard to say all of them are going to hit because it's it's fighting and it's the hardest sport to bet by far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm extremely confident. Yeah, I cannot wait for this fight card. This is going to be a pay-per-view that I just cannot wait to see. No doubt, no doubt. So I think that about wraps us up for this week's episode. Y'all make sure to, to follow us on Instagram, at round6pod. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're going to be dropping episodes every single Friday. Uh, obviously, our bets are going to be announced on Friday during our episodes, but we'll also post them on Instagram so that you can refer back to them whenever you want to see how you're doing. Check your your lines, see where they're at uh, on fight day if you choose to wait until the fights roll around to get your bets in. But what a week. Like I said, I, I can't overstate that. I'm super excited for this week. But again, follow us on Instagram at round6pod. Follow the YouTube channel. You know, Watch our reels. Give us... Any kind of support that you can, we'd love to have it. I, I know, Jake, you feel the, the same way there. So, awesome. uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Jake, you got anything else you want to say before we sign That's up? about it. Let's make some money this weekend. Yep. Uh, I'm all for it. So, like we said, give us a follow, YouTube, Instagram, and, and let's go make some money this weekend. So, without further ado, y'all have a good one.